Welcome to the You and I podcast, a series where we share firsthand the experience of patients with overactive bladder, commonly known as OAB. This podcast is a series kindly supported by Astellas, and we are grateful to them for their generosity. In the series, we'll speak to a number of patients and to a patient organisation about various aspects of living with OAB. We will uncover what it was like to be diagnosed with OAB, how OAB impacted patients during the COVID-19 pandemic, and much, much more. We're hoping that this series will be informative to patients and the public alike and raise awareness about a condition that is steadily affecting more and more people. My name is Professor Marcus Drake, and I'm delighted to be talking to these brave patients willing to discuss their condition so that others can better understand OAB. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Susanna Fraser and Paula Pitcher to discuss the value of communication for overactive bladder patients. Susanna is the communication and media manager at Bladder Health UK and works closely with public bodies, healthcare professionals and industry to offer expert advice on a range of bladder conditions. So joining Susanna for this episode, we also have Paula, who is a specialty urogynecology nurse who worked previously at the Women's Hospital in Birmingham with years of experience in continence care. Paula supports the advice line at Bladder Health UK, an invaluable service that enables any member of the public to call and discuss bladder-related issues. Welcome both of you to the podcast. To begin with, Susanna, I wonder whether you might be able to give us a quick overview to Bladder Health UK and what the organisation does. Yeah, sure. So we're a national charity providing information and support to anybody with a chronic bladder problem. Um, So everything from overactive bladder to incontinence to interstitial cystitis, we will offer advice and information and more importantly support um, for people that are, are trying to live positively with the disease. Now, those are all incredibly important supportive roles, which I think the public really, really appreciates. Given just how common OAB is, and just how influential it is on affected people, plus the fact that it becomes more common as people get older. I think one of the key challenges that there is, is the importance of education initiatives here, just really raising awareness of OAB and and how to deal with it. So... I mean, I'd I'd be particularly interested to know if people first start showing symptoms of OAB, is it something they tend to keep a bit private or do they share it with family members or friends? What what do you think actually goes on? Um, I think sometimes we find they've mentioned it to friends, but, but maybe not as overactive bladder. They maybe mention that they're going to the toilet much more often and that maybe it's more difficult to hold on and that they can't wait before to get to the toilets um but they perhaps put it in a in a light-hearted way um i think older people mention it more to friends they they tend to think it's an inevitable sign of aging and they just have to put up with it so so then they want to share with other people of a, of a similar generation um i think people are sometimes surprised when they call our advice line to find that it isn't and that there are actually interventions that can be put in place to ease those symptoms and to give them better quality of life. I'm just interested, actually, on this light-hearted business. Do you think that's actually a protective mechanism? Is it 
do you think it's helpful or unhelpful? What? How do we deal with this light-hearted? Well, probably, I probably, I would think, I mean, they're saying it sort of light-heartedly because they want, they don't want a serious reaction from friends and that, or perhaps they want a reaction from friends. So I think initially it can be quite um, light-hearted. I think my experience when I was working, um, they'd got past that light-hearted aspect and they were quite um, concerned, quite embarrassed, quite anxious, quite stressed and quite tearful about all of the symptoms they were experiencing. So the advice line is an incredibly important aspect. So if if they're calling you, what is it that you're really hearing from people and how are you best dealing with this? I think if they're calling us, then that's the first stage um, to being proactive or even the first stage of validating the symptoms that they've got and they're not actually imagining them and something can um, be done. And I think as a charity, being the first port of call, we have got a vast um, knowledge. I think me, because I've worked so many years in women's health, and Susanna, because um, she's probably a sufferer of um, um, some of the conditions. So I think we're a great, we're a great first first call as a charity. So that must be hugely reassuring. And 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 one of the things perhaps is that they just don't know about the the sort of name overactive bladder. And is is that something that that really you need to get over to them to reassure them? I think it's good, it's always good to have a name for a condition. As I said, it, it sort of validates that condition. Um, I think it's good that they know it has, it's not a condition that they've got to totally live with, that we can help, can help them give advice and they can be proactive in helping themselves by, you know, um, lifestyle changes and, you know, different things like that. But um, it's, prob- it's probably not the first time that it's probably the first time they've heard of overactive bad, um, bladder. Yeah, so it must be very validating to to hear of the condition, but also the fact that there is something that they may be able to do to make it have less of an impact. But one of the things that I'll be really interested to know is: Do you think that being diagnosed with OAB changes the way people communicate with others about their condition? can be a, a relief for them to know that there is a, a name for the strange set of symptoms that they're suffering, that it isn't necessarily an inevitable sign of ageing or just something that they've got to put up with. I, I think um, that definitely that, that makes a big difference in that calling it overactive bladder does validate it and mean that it's actually a condition, it's actually something that they are suffering from, not not just something that's inevitable I guess. I think it also makes them more confident maybe in, in discussing um, their symptoms with others. It and sometimes make you more confident to say actually it is a condition, it is a recognised condition what I have um, and, and perhaps that perhaps makes, it, makes you feel a little bit more open about it. Now that's very important isn't it because it means that the patient's willing to speak up and say something about it but then how does whoever they say it to react do you think the population at large knows much about oab would would give a sympathetic response and an appropriate reaction i think it varies tremendously what do you think um i probably think as a whole the population don't know much about overactive bladder um it's a bit like if you're not suffering with it you're not going to know about it and it's certainly not something you're going to seek out so I think it's 
probably the person who's got the condition is probably the educator of a person who hasn't got the condition. So it becomes more uh, normal to talk about it, perhaps more, um, you know, somebody might say, oh, that sounds like me. You know, perhaps I've mm. got an overactive bladder. I keep going to the loo every hour and can't get quite, mm. you know, manage to get to the loo. So I think, I think in, in that way, the public don't know too much about it and it, it's probably up to the sufferers to educate. So once they hear about the OAB diagnosis, how do you think people react? What are they going to do of, of, of their own initiative, perhaps? Oh, um, <laughs> from their own initiative. Well, I think, I think a great source is Google. <laughs> And I think if people do have symptoms, I think that's probably the first place that they would go to is, uh, is Google. Um, and if you were to put in um, overactive bladder, then a vast amount of information comes up, particularly different hospitals that have put together fact sheets about um, overactive bladder. Um, I like to think that we come up quite high when people Google overactive bladder in Bladder Health UK comes up. And if people were to go onto that um, website, there's a vast amount of information about overactive bladder plus other bladder illnesses, but there's foods that um, to avoid. There's even a very well put together bladder diary. If um, somebody needs to do a bladder diary before they have their first GP appointment or um, urology appointment. The bladder diary might be worth describing a bit to people because that might sound a little mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> What's the bladder diary about? Um, it, a blood diary is it's a first tool that I always recommend um, when people phone up is to actually fill it up so they've got it to present to the GP or the urologist. It quickens that first appointment. And what it is, it's usually over three days. And what the, the nurse or the consultant or the GP are looking for is how much the patient is voiding in 24 hours. It also, we're not... It also takes into account what they're drinking. So the aim is roughly what's going in should equate roughly to what's going out. It's going to be a bit of insensible loss. So the patient, the patient, sorry, the member that phones up, they're, they're filling in this three-day bladder diary for 24 hours. So night time all the way through to 24 hours. And it's a really good tool to take to a GP or urologist if they can't actually explain or remember how much they've drank on certain days and it, it, it gives a vast amount of information you know just so much information somebody looking at it and i guess that by voiding you mean having a pee oh sorry yeah passing urine so susanna have you ever filled in a bladder diary was that was that an interesting experience <laughs> um, i have many years ago yes I, i'm in fact an interstitial cystitis patient but i have um filled out a, a bladder diary when I first went to a urologist because he wanted to be aware of how many times I was voiding and the sort of volumes that I was voiding as well. Did you find, because like Paula just said, sometimes there's a bit of a, a mismatch between how much you drank and how much you peed and sometimes you seem to drink more than you pee and sometimes, oddly, it's the other way around. So did you experience that, Susanna? Um, Yes, to a certain extent. And I, I, I think it's important to be aware that, that what you're eating and drink, eating can affect the volume that, that you pee. So if you're eating things like fruit, that contains a lot of fluid. Um, also, things like the temperature. So if it's a warm day, you're going to be sweating a lot. So, so you might be drinking a lot, but you might still not be peeing out what you've drunk. So um, 
I suppose that at the time, I was probably less aware as a new patient that those, those might be issues. Um, so yes, there were times when I looked at the diary and thought it didn't quite seem to match. Yes, yeah. So we can be pretty reassuring that a mismatch is actually nothing to be alarmed about, really, can't we? Oh, definitely, because there are all sorts of things that can influence that yeah. other than just what you're drinking. So what about the population at large? Do you think that there are significant misconceptions out there? I th yes, I think, yeah, I think so. But it was quite a new thing for me when I started doing um, urology nursing. It was quite a new um, thing, overactive bladder. So if it was new to me, it's going to be new to the general public. Um, people are very familiar with the symptoms, but they're not so familiar if you put those symptoms together a word for all those symptoms together. So how do they, how do generally people refer to this? I mean, I keep on hearing this phrase, weak bladder, and I'm sort of like going, uh, <laughs> I mean, one of the things they would tend to say when they phone up is, um, you know, I was, I was fine two years ago, but now I'm going to the loo every half hour, every hour. Um, I can't manage to get to the loo. I put the key in the door and I become desperate. I run the tap. You know, I'm desperate for the loo. I go from sitting to standing. I'm desperate for the loo. Um, I take the dog for a walk. So they're not doing stressful exercise. I'm taking the dog for a walk. I'm desperate for a wee. So those are the type of things that they, that they initially present with, uh, what they're looking for an answer. And does that have any relationship to getting older, do you think? No. Um, I think, well, I would think on average... It's the older person that would get, I would say 50 plus, it wouldn't be so uncommon to develop maybe urgency and uh, frequency. But we do get younger people who, are, who phone up and who I, I, I... And by younger, what are you really meaning? I'm, I'm saying probably mid-30s. With sometimes even the occasional teenager. Yes, yeah, definitely. I've had a, um, a call with um, a couple of parents who have yeah. a young child with overactive bladder. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And how does that conversation go then? Um, obviously, it's difficult because the parents can be very worried about it. It can be impacting the child very significantly in terms of schooling, education, social life. Um, all, all sorts of things. So we do give advice there and, and often pass um, details of Eric, the children's bladder and bowel charity on to them so that they can get some help from them as well. well I can imagine what an incredibly important support role you're playing with that conversation for sure. Now the, the thing for sufferers is what sort of person would they likely share their condition you know that confess to almost what who would they speak to first and do they need support from others do you think um i definitely think it it really helps if you do have the support of others because particularly the support of your family because inevitably with a, a long-term condition like overactive bladder lifestyle changes do need to be made so um, if you have to have a change in diet, it can really help maybe if you have the support of your family that they will make the same changes to their diet to support you. Um, and, and also things like travelling. Mm. If travelling's a problem, to then be able to say to your family, to your partner, I am going to need to make regular stops at motorway service stations. And for you not to feel that that's a nuisance, 
Um, I think I think sometimes if you if you're made to feel by family that you're being a pain, you're being a nuisance, that can be quite upsetting. If you've got that support there to say that isn't a problem, as long as we understand what you need, mm. um, will it? We can we can do that, and we can help you to make those changes. Yeah, that must really matter, mustn't it? I can't really. Imagine how tricky it must be if actually you're getting laughed at. So I hope supportive is is good. So, you know, what will you do if things aren't going so well in that front? I think you can, I think it really helps to connect with others in that case who have had, who have the condition um, and ask them how have they coped? How have they approached family and friends? Um, how has, how has it worked out for them can they get offer you any tips as to how you might be able to better explain what your needs are and the changes you you need to make and and how important that support and what it would mean to you um i think there's huge value in in being able to reach out to others and who have got the same condition are on the same road as you're on um so to speak um and, and to have that support and to say, actually, you're not alone. You're not the only person that's suffering from this condition. And um, we also suffer from it. We can help you when things aren't, aren't going well. We'll always be here as a, a listening ear and some support for you. And certainly Bladder Health UK um, offer that in terms of um, a website uh, forum for overactive bladder where patients can go on anonymously if they wish and just share with others what the issues are and ask for that that support and also also as well we have we have a leaflet for families so that we we can send out you know just just for families that they can read so i mean is there value do you think in being open about the condition and 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 is 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 that going to be good for reducing feelings of embarrassment or or what's the experience do you think i think it's really important that people are do try to be open about the condition um because the more we're all open about bladder illness the more it will reduce the stigma going forward i also think it reduces the stress and anxiety on you as a sufferer because it's always going to be harder to try and keep things covered up to keep things under wraps to pretend that everything's okay when actually it isn't. Um, I, I think it's actually less of a stress if you can share that with other people and say, actually, I do have a bladder condition. It is difficult to live with at times. I'm doing my best. Um, this is what it is. And these are the changes that I've had to make. And I think that you encourage then a, a more open attitude to, to bladder illness, which mm. is really, really needed. Yeah. Definitely. So where is best, do you think, for getting reliable OAB information? I think Bladder Health UK um, are a reliable source of information. Um, And uh, the information that we have on our website, and also if you join us to become a sufferer, where we'll send you an overactive bladder handbook, uh, you can also take advantage of the support via our advice line from, from the nurse that we have. Um, I think that's, that's really, really important to um, be able to access that. And we do always say that we are a reliable source of information. And then the counteract to that then is what about unreliable sources of information? Dare you actually share an opinion on where you think something that's less appropriate might come from. 
I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because I, I think there is some very good quality information on, on Facebook groups, and, and certainly we run a Facebook group ourselves. Um, but I think it's important to remember that um, the information that comes out on those groups may not be correct, and to always check some of the information that you you get, that you receive on, on some of the groups, which may not be... Um, moderated as as well as others are. So just to be cautious in that respect and to check the information that you get. I think also, I think um, maybe online medication is not that reliable. You know, if people are Googling medication for overactive bladder, it, it's a wrong thing. It's not how it should be. So I think that's probably not healthy. They don't, they don't want to go to their GP, particularly you know, at this moment in time where GPs just haven't got appointments and and they're not referring to urologists because um, the referrals are, are coming back because there just isn't room on a, a urology waiting list. So people are resorting to, to medication online, which um, is a no-no. In effect, I guess, Paula, what you're saying is that you shouldn't really make a self-diagnosis and then initiate self-treatment without a proper process of really checking diagnosis and the suitability of the treatment. And furthermore, you know, modern life seems to have quite a high risk of exploitation and uh, trying to get the money from you, perhaps in a, a, a way that's not necessarily safe or effective. I think your point there is completely crucial, isn't it? must speak to appropriate people before making a big step like that. Do you think patient community groups are helpful? Oh, yes. Mm. But if, they, if they run well. <laughs> yes, if they're, yes if, they're, if they run well and well moderated, definitely. Yeah. And I think it, they can be a safe space for others to share with other people who are on the same road as them. Um, so so um, being able to share and have that sort of support via a, a closed group on Facebook, perhaps, where um, you know that there's only only sufferers on that group and, and that nobody's judgmental either. No. I think as a, as a sufferer of bladder illness, one of the things you fear is the judgment from other people. And when you're in a room, if you like, or with, with a lot of other sufferers, you know that judgment won't be there. Which is so important. And does behaviour or response or, you know, what changes as people participate in these, in these forums? Paula, do you see much change in people over the time? Yeah, I, th I think people are claiming it. And, and, and just through education, you know, the, the, as I said, the, the illness is not going to go away. It's there. But just by people educating themselves and taking responsibility, even losing weight, um, reducing... I'm not, I can't tell people to stop smoking, but just by reducing smoking, they're actually taking responsibility for their own health. And it's not doom and gloom. It's not simply, right, I've got it. I've got to live with it. I've got to wear pads all the time. I can't go out. I've got to know where a toilet is. I've got to have an app on my phone telling me where the nearest loo is. You know, they're taking responsibility. They're reducing their fluids. They're looking at their fluids. Um, and, it, and it's a great release for them just to know there is improvement. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important, isn't it? And then, I mean, it, do we actually think people are feeling fully comfortable to discuss OAB with the with key people, with with relatives, with healthcare professionals? Do you think people are now beginning to accept that, that, that this is suitable? 
Definitely, definitely a healthcare because that's why they've gone because they've got these problems. Um, hopefully, with family, I, I always find it's, it's more. It could be quite difficult for a, a younger couple. I don't know. I know it's just something difficult. Not difficult, but something strange for a younger couple to have to discuss because they don't want it. You don't want to be young and rushing to the loo and having to wear pads if you're going on a long journey. It's just older couples are maybe much more sympathetic with each other. We, we accept, you know, we accept things that aren't, are going slightly wrong as we get older. Um, but it's just, it can be difficult for younger, younger couples or younger people generally. So what, what should we say to people? Susanna, have you got a sort of message? What do you feel that we should be saying to people as they, as they start this OAB journey? Um, I, I think to try and be as open and honest about it as you feel able to be, um, to reduce the stress on you and also to get the help and support from people around you as, as a patient. Um, to not be afraid to reach out to organisations like Bladder Health UK to have good information, um, quality information on the condition and also the support that you need. And to remember, this isn't an inevitable sign of ageing. It, it, it is a long-term condition, but it is a condition that can be treated and the symptoms minimised so that your quality of life then is restored. Um, so don't just live with it, do get some help. And Paula, would you add anything to that? Well, I was going to add something, but Susanna kept saying... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Susanna, said all, Susanna said all the good things. I, I just think, yeah, it, it's just... You, you, there was a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it's not all gloom and doom. Okay, it, it's, it's a condition you've got to live with, but it's a condition that you can uh, reduce the symptoms. You can live with it, and life goes on. That's so important, isn't it? Now, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you both. I think it's been absolutely wonderful to just get that perspective and the fact that we can all relate to this circumstance and that people can speak to others and get understanding and support. So thank you both very much indeed. It's been a privilege. No, thank you. Thank you very much. So that was a fantastic episode. So whether you're a doctor, a patient, or somebody who's keen to learn more about OAB, I hope you found it informative. Please tune in next time and we'll learn more about OAB. Do please subscribe to this podcast to be notified about new episodes.